Welcome to the Podcast of Power. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me is Mr. Chris Dashu. I'm still in shock that it's 2022 and we're watching a Lord of the Rings show, given that you and I have talked about Lord of the Rings so many times before, but... Uh, so many times and so many incarnations of Tolkien that we, uh, yeah, yeah, all the way back to The Hobbit. Yeah, multiple yeah. different shows. I mean, we talked about it at least on my show, The Culture Cast, a couple times. We talked about it on Rankin and Bass, another show that you and I do together about Rankin and Bass shows, but that was the cartoons, but we've never talked about it on your show. No, no. For whatever reason, I've never covered any Tolkien on the show at all. So I probably have made little references to it, but that's about it. I think that's, I think that's almost a given, given how, uh, given how much we love Lord of the Rings. So that's true. And how culturally pervasive it is. Yeah, well, yeah, anymore. And now, given who owns the rights and who's making the show and the show that we're going to be talking about, I feel like almost at this point, if you don't know what Lord of the Rings is, <laughs> you're the weird one at this point. So, yeah, it is now to the point where Lord of the Rings is old enough that I've got little snot nosed kids that are like not even millennials. They're like younger than that. And they're just like, Oh, the effects look terrible in these movies. I'm just like, fuck you, kid. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's funny. The original movie came out. Fellowship of the Ring came out in what? 2001, so 21 years ago. Yeah. Uh, which is wild to think about given where we are now and why we decided to do this show. Because, you know, again, we love Lord of the Rings so much. It was like, we're, we're, are we, you know, we're not going to, we're going to balk at the opportunity to do a show yeah. together on Lord of the, on the new Lord of the Rings show. Like arguably the biggest show of the year, I think like it and it and that Game of Thrones show are kind of like the two biggest shows of the year. But I would actually contend it's Lord of the Rings show is like, is the biggest show of the year. And if it's not, Amazon is trying to make it the biggest show of the year. Well, they definitely spent the most money on this show. Yeah, holy shit. I mean, yeah. good God in heaven. That that much is certain. If you want, if you wanted to see what it looks like to try and compete with Disney in regards to the uh budget of your show, look no further than the Lord of the Rings, Ring the Rings of Power, because my God, it's a movie. Split up over eight parts. And on this episode, we are talking about the first part, a shadow of the past. And we are being introduced to characters left, right, and center through this. A lot of jumping around. We are going all over the place, meeting our elf friends. Uh, we're meeting some hobbits or what are they calling them? Harfoots. Yes. Yes. And... Well, so we guys got some humans in here, but we definitely meet Lenny Henry. He's probably the only actor in this whole uh, series that I know right off the bat. Oh, I, I was about to say, I know the the actor who plays Elrond only because he played young Sean Bean in the later season, in one of the later seasons of Game of Thrones. So uh, that's like an immediate connection to Game of Thrones. Yeah, Robert Arameo, it wasn't like a big part, but he he has a very uh, recognizable face. And so when I saw him in this, I was like, oh, it's the guy from Game of Thrones. So he's the only one that I knew of before coming into the show. It's, it's nice for, it's, it's nice for the show that it's not a lot of well-known people because it do- honestly, it doesn't distract me right at all, right. which I really appreciate. Like, and I'm not saying like if it had been a lot of really well-known actors, I wouldn't have been able to enjoy the show, but I mean, 
like I'm focusing on essentially everything else because of it. So that's an immediate success. And you know what? And I, I, I know that I'm sure we're not the only one saying this, but the amount of representation in the show, I, I applaud it genuinely yeah. because you know off. what there's there were there you know again there was no african-american representation in the original three movies good lord no there i mean sure there was wasn't. very little female characters in the original movies there's three arwen galadriel and eowyn and that's it and two of them are just love interests i mean arwen maybe a little less so but definitely eowyn i mean again she kills you know she kills the witch king but Again, like it's the female characters in the Lord of the Rings, at least the original books, the way they're presented in the movies are not much of not really big representation of female characters. Well, that was my favorite part of the big battle in Return of the King when it was um, Eowyn on the battlefield and then all of a sudden Galadriel showed up. I swear to God, I knew it. (laughs) with this i was like is he doing is he riffing the marvel thing i sure am yeah yep. we then, just lined up and then even we had uh sam's girlfriend from the yeah, shire was rosie cotton was yeah wild. she showed up yeah Lubelia saxville baggins was there yeah man with That's the right. with her hat with the yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah all God. the all the ladies right there yeah uh, before we dive too further into the episode, Mike, what what is what is your exposure to Lord of the Rings outside of the movies? You've read the books, the original books. I've read the books. I tried to read the Silmarillion when I was in high school, and that didn't work out so well. It really reminded me of reading like Deuteronomy. It just felt like you know uh, Elrond be be um begat Bronwyn who begat Selimbrorm who begat Waldrick it was just like Jesus Christ man enough of this stuff uh, there was no story to it so right. if they're pulling from bits of the Silmarillion in here hats off man because I couldn't make heads or tails of it when I was 18 years old yeah so I read I finished the Th- Return of the King uh last week I read the Silmarillion earlier this year it's okay. I, I mean, again, you know, I don't think anybody's going to argue that it's stylistically interesting, but it 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 sets the it sets a very fine tuned groundwork for a, a, a universe and a world that's immensely well realized and fully realized. And so, I mean, you know, like you said, it is a little, you know, he who begat he who begat he. It's like, I yeah, it is a little bit history book. It is a little bit bibly, really. But at the same time, like that is what it is, really. It's the, you know, history of this world. I mean, this universe, even. I mean, it opens with the creation by Eru Iluvatar. So, I, you know, it opens with that. I mean, it opens with, you know, and in the beginning, God created the universe. So, yeah, it is. It's pretty dry. But at the same time, it offers up a lot of places to go with interesting stories. And we see that right out of the gate here because Mm -hmm. this story is set 5,000 years before Lord of the Rings, the events of the Lord of the Rings, mind you, because the events of Lord of the Rings take place over like what, essentially like a year. Yeah. Maybe a long weekend, something like that. Yeah. I think. Yeah. (laughs) But I want to say, yeah, it's it's like a year. Yeah, no, you're right. It is like a year. It's like Um, a year, something to that effect. I mean, maybe there might be a good amount of time at the very beginning between Bilbo's birthday and then uh, when 
Gandalf comes back and has news about the ring. Like, That's it feels in the like book, though. In the yeah, book, it's it, like 30 years or something, because Frodo right. doesn't age in the book in that time. And everybody else is like, because Frodo has the ring, everybody else is like, oh, my God, like Frodo's not aging. But like Mary and Pippin and Sam all age. But that's right. not in the movies. No, no. I'm just saying as far as like, I, I think they imply that there's some time being spent right. there just because, you know, when we meet up with Bilbo again, he looks terrible. And you're like, why the hell did he age so quickly? And it's like, oh, duh, there was a lot of time passed. And so he's now aging like a regular person without the ring. Mm. I always just assumed he's, he started aging really fast and it wasn't that long of a time pass. Mm-hmm. But realistically, if you're going into this series expecting to see certain characters, they're not here. There are going to be some characters here because of the way of the mechanics of the races, namely the elves. And they essentially are they're setting like the the thing I appreciate about this episode is they set the ground rules for the elves in the first episode. And it's not that they didn't do it in the movies, but the movies don't have enough time. To explain Mm -hmm. all of this. And the fact that the movies open with this exposition dump that's done so well is really a testament to Peter Jackson's and, you know, Philippa Boyan and Fran Walsh's screenwriting ability. Because this episode, it's really funny. It's explaining a lot of things that I take for granted having read the series now. Mm -hmm. Like the whole thing about the elves and how elves never die, but they go to the Grey Havens. But that's not death, technically. You know, it's there's all this there's all these mechanics that are explained here that were never explained in the movies. I was always confused as far as elves and immortality as far as because there's two types of immortality one you live forever right boom end of story two somebody stabs you you're immortal you live forever still you know so it's like which kind of immortal are they i imagine it's just the we live forever but if you stab me i'll die type of immortality right they can still get killed but they live forever yeah. Right. It's not that they can't die because, I mean, we see at the beginning of Fellowship, we see here, you know, they talk about fighting Morgoth and going from Valinor to Middle-earth. They they really echo that first movie heavily in this first episode with the way it opens, with this kind of, you know, there's a little bit of a cold open, which I think was kind of interesting. But then they do that exposition dump just like they did in the movies. Mm-hmm. And it works really well here, too. Like, surprising. Because, again, like, the, I mean... You and I are such huge fans of Dune, and I was recently rewatching the Dune TV cut where they have essentially the same thing. They have these like massive amounts of exposition dump, and those don't work very well. Mm-hmm. But they, they work better than they should, but they still don't work very well because, again, it's like I feel like they're explaining too much weird stuff here. It's it's like they can. They, they can introduce the weird stuff very slowly. And again, I guess my question to you is, can you watch this show without having seen the movies or Gosh. even having read the books? I could, I, I, and you can watch this without reading the books, but could you watch this without having seen the movies? Possibly. I mean, I think they're doing an okay enough job introducing these races. And I mean, they definitely, they're, they're doing one of my favorite things. They're showing a map. A lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, they make so many references to Sor- Sauron that it's just like, uh, 
maybe it'd be better if you knew who Sauron was. And there's even times, I want to say there was a, a moment where there's a shadow and it's Sauron's shadow over other things. I'm just like, okay, yeah, the, if you knew that silhouette, that would probably be a much more impactful shot. I don't know. That's a good question. We should have probably roped in somebody onto the show that had never seen the movies. Yeah, but I feel like at this point, like, who is that person? Because that, I mean, well, it, I mean, I know people that don't like the movies, but even they've seen them. So, I, you know, I was wondering the thing about Sauron. And again, I think, you know, again, having read the Silmarillion, you know, and, and again, like Morgoth and Sauron are such big, they're, they're ever present. I mean, throughout mm-hmm. the story. So Sauron is, has been around this long, obviously. I think they do a good enough job in letting the audience who may or may not, the audience member who doesn't know who Sauron is, I think they do a good enough job of letting you know, like the stakes of what he is right? and what that means. Cause again, you know, it, you know, the Lord of the Rings, that story, it takes place over such a short amount of time that you think like Sauron is this like minor threat, but it's like, no, he's been a threat for thousands of years and he's not even the original threat. Morgoth is, and Sauron is just a disciple of Morgoth. And it's like, this is like thousands of years of stuff. So it's, yeah, I think what's really weird about this show is because it's so far removed, you don't have to worry about a lot of things. Like, frankly, anything. They didn't have to introduce Galadriel and Elrond and another character who I think we both realize who the character is. I think anybody who's watching this show who knows Lord of the Rings knows who one of the characters is and we'll talk about it. But they didn't have to. I'm glad they did because it gives you that kind of anchoring point initially but they didn't have to because of the time span that this is separated from that part of the narrative from well i do like that galadriel now has stakes in this whole thing of her brother being killed by sauron and morgoth and it's just like okay i'm here to avenge my brother i was like okay that's kind of cool i have to say there's a couple times where um morphid clark where she gets this like crazy look in her left eye and it's just like oh like she's gonna murder you right then and there and i'm just like man she's got crazy eyes (laughs) well i was glad that they found an actor who could bring a little edge to it because that's the thing that kate blanchett brings in that role is she is tempted by the ring and that does bring an edge to her character i mean you see it with those interactions with frodo in fellowship. And then you see in the interactions with Sauron in the third uh, Hobbit movie, mm-hmm. she, she kind of goes green and black and kind of, you know, tease off on him. I mean, I, I, she's, she's a really good pick. Yeah. Like oh, I'm, yeah. I'm already on board with her. And again, like as someone who appreciates representation and things like, I'm glad that one of the leads and ostensibly I would say like the main lead of the show is female. Like, I appreciate I appreciate that, given that, like, there was so little of it in the original series. And again, I'm not saying that that was intentional on J.R.R. Tolkien's part, but like, I'm glad that we have found other stories to tell here. Exactly. And with her, I'm surprised that there aren't people just shitting themselves because of some of the close ups of her eyes where they're blue, but then the rest of the time they're brown. And I'm sure people are just like, Oh my God, this is terrible. Why didn't they cast somebody with blue eyes? It's like, really? We're going to go there. Do do we have to? (laughs) Do I need to fight with people on the internet about their casting? No, I mean, because they're probably already losing their shit about Nori. Who's a, she's a made up character. Like all characters are made up guys. She's a made up character. She wasn't in the original books and she's a woman again. Woke. 
Yeah, Wokesterism I, is ruining my Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I don't and I don't understand. Like again, there's how many thousands of years of history with this world? Yeah. And there were hundreds of thousands, probably millions of inhabitants of this world throughout those times. Like what what what? Like I don't what are the complaints here? I don't get it. This is the show that solves the Star Wars problem. It takes the narrative and says, you know what? What happened in those movies wasn't the most important thing to ever happen in this universe. And even if it is, other big things happened too so far ago that it seems just as important as the things that happened in Lord of the Rings. Because Morgoth getting defeated was as big of a deal to those people at that time. And, you know, we don't know what happened past Sauron dying at the end of the Third Age because Tolkien never wrote anything past that. He started on something which essentially alluded to Sauron coming back anyways. So it's like, again, like people want to get their panties in a bunch. It's like, you know what? Go watch fucking Star Wars then. Seriously. Yeah. Because Star Wars can't get out of the Skywalker loop this like we're you know even if this is galadriel who is an established character and elrond who's an established character it's so far removed that they don't even have to be the same people exactly and the thing is that there's thousands of years separating these rather than just like 10 or 20 and we're just trying to cram everything in there and there's nothing with elrond and galadriel where just like oh that's where she got the necklace from and that's where she got the scar from and that's where he got the whatever you know it's like all those little stupid things that we it's like oh well we have to cram them in there how how did han solo meet chewbacca after all we should probably have a whole movie about that it's like no just let this you know you've got these characters who were around a couple thousand years ago just let this story play out and talking about morgoth it's like we didn't really see morgoth get defeated they could still go back and do a whole morgoth movie if they wanted to they could do a whole series about that thousand years because again like again we're seeing we're seeing in this show the times before we see what happened at the beginning of fellowship which takes place however many years before that. So it's like, we're even further back than like 5,000 years. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't, none of the things that you normally assume matter in a prequel series matter here. And you know what? Like it like, seriously, this show could fail from here on out, but doing this is the smartest thing. The show has done is just saying, you know what? We're not going to, we know that the villains are, are our through line along with some characters based on the mechanisms of the universe, but everything else is like, we're just going to stick to the narrative that was presented in the Silmarillion and the facts of the world and build around that Mm -hmm. 5,000 years. Yeah. You got plenty of time. I mean, there is no Shire. There is, you know, we have yet to see any sort of stuff around um, the, the, the horseman, uh, the, the tree, any of that kind of stuff. It's like, please maybe stay away from that stuff. That'd be kind of nice if we just don't have to pay lip service to all of those things. Right. Because again, like a lot of that stuff took place hundreds and hundreds of years before even this. They show the two trees, but like, again, like that's old history, even for these people. And these people are old history for the fellowship people. It's crazy. Like that's, it's wild to me how successful that is alone. I don't need to finally find out where Gondor was when the Westfold fell. (laughs) Fair. And you know, the, the Game of Thrones show set its show 
200 years before the narrative in Game of Thrones, that story as it's presented and that story in Game of Thrones is like eight years worth of stuff. And in Lord of the Rings, it's not. But even with that show, like giving yourself essentially three or four generations of time in between, I think we're going to start seeing this as a thing for mm-hmm. other things. And I think it's really smart because again, you can pay lip service, but like doing this feels like you're doing it so that you don't have to mm-hmm. so that you can just say, I'm telling whatever fucking story I want at this point. And you know what? Yeah. Sauron is in this and yeah, we might get, we might get more goth. I don't know, but there's not there. We don't have to worry about so many of just like, Oh, there were my, am I, you know, that was, that's what those Hobbit movies did. They were mm-hmm. like, Oh, my son, Gimli. You have to oh, go boy. meet the. You have to go meet a a, a, stri- a a ranger. His name is Strider. Like oh, those things that they just crammed into uh-huh. that third movie were so grown worthy. Yeah, and there's none of that here, and it's uh. it's. I appreciate it so much. And you get there is some of it if you know the narrative. Like when he's like, oh, I want you know he's like El, uh, you know, uh, Gil Gallat is like Elrond. I want you to work with Celebrimbor on this really special project, which is. The creation of the rings. Exactly. You know, the titular rings of power. But again, I don't know how many people who just know the movies, Lord of the Rings, are going to know that. Right. Right. Which is pretty clever. It it doesn't ruin it if you do know it. And it doesn't ruin it if you don't know it. I mean, we're going to get that eventually. And it's like, okay, great. Well, that's why the show is called this. So even as a casual fan, I'm like, okay, well, this is the guy. The only thing that I never realized about this character is that it is a hard C rather than a soft C because I used to always call him Celebrimbor when I was reading it. Celebrimbor is... So it's weird. There was a Lord of the Rings video game that came out a couple years ago that was canon and had the Celebrimbor character in there. And I think I don't think this clashes with it, but Celebrimbor is an interesting character because he might be the one character who more casual fans of the show do know or casual watchers because of the video game connection. Mm. But like but like in the you know, in the later parts of this episode, you have just Again, like you mentioned, like Gil Gallad, who is mentioned in the Silmarillion, but just kind of in passing. But he's a character in this show. It's like those kinds of things are nice because, again, it's someone you've heard of, but there's enough unknown factors that they can kind of do whatever they want with it, which we see with something like the Harfoots, the proto hobbits. Uh I think who I think are immensely uh, interesting as characters in this show. I mean, already. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I really can appreciate them. I thought that maybe they were hopping around a little too much in this first episode and the second episode, which we'll talk about on our next episode. But at the same time, I'm like, no, you kind of got to do it. You kind of have to do this cross cutting in order to keep up with these three stories that maybe one day they'll all cross. Probably they will, but this is a big place. You know, there are people, I mean, it's, it's that thing like, it's like how Legolas never spoke to Frodo, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, like once or twice after yeah, the first. Yeah. yeah. Well, and again, like the, y- you have to also put into perspective, like you mentioned with this story, similar to, I mean, that similar to Game of Thrones. I mean, the story is 
like here in like little pockets all over the universe. Uh So in Game of Thrones, yeah, there was the kind of big overall threat of the White Walkers. And like you mentioned, towards the end of that narrative, essentially everybody does converge. And yeah, I would assume with this, we're going to get that because Sauron is obviously clearly the big threat here or someone that he is in cahoots with or in line with. But I, yeah, no, I'm with you. It's, it is a little bit and a lot of bit of jumping, but I feel like this is one of those things where either you do it now or do it later, but you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to just exposition dump and jump around at some point. And like, Mm -hmm. it's not as jarring as I was expecting it to be. I don't think. I don't think so either. If I were to have one other complaint about it, it would be that sometimes the language isn't as flowery as I associate with Lord of the Rings, you know, lines like, not idly do the leaves of Lorien fell. It's like those kind of more poetic things. Yeah, it's you know, it's out of the book, and there is no necessarily like book for some of this stuff. So it's like, okay, maybe this is a little bit more common tongue type of stuff. But at the same time, I might be laughing if they tried to pretty it up a bit. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of with you. I think my biggest concern with this show is going to be recapturing the tone of the movies and again this this show is an adept is a prequel show to the movies mm-hmm. not so much the books i mean it's inspired by the books but this is in the universe of the movies so the, I, I, I again like if you're gonna be in that universe you need to hew close to what peter jackson did in those first three movies i think you know m- measured amounts of success in the second three mm-hmm. but they have to keep it in line with that and i think they do more or less i i see what you mean about the language i think visually it looks very similar to the jackson films i don't think yeah. that was going to be hard to do but visually it looks the same but yeah i feel like the i feel like there's a little bit of kind of this minor edge to the show that maybe needs to be sanded off a little bit or kind of refined a little bit more i don't know the it, yeah, it doesn't have, there's something about it. It doesn't have that grandi, grandiose feel that the movies did. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just, you know, again, that's just the way the movies were. Yeah, I, I'm i intrigued. I'm very intrigued by this. I mean, I know the big bad is coming. Things are happening in here. Um, the, the most fascinating storyline for me is about the elf and human, which is interesting because it's kind of the opposite of what we had um, in the Lord of the Rings, where it was, well, Strider is the ranger, which is, you know, they live a little bit longer, the, that kind of stuff. But him being as ostensibly human and his girlfriend being an elf, you know, but now we've got the male elf and the female human. And I was like, oh, that, that kind of works for me. And I like that he he's playing it almost more Vulcan-like at times. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, maybe it's, it's very much like the Baron and Luthien story again, which I mean, they, yeah, like you mentioned, they did it in the original series mm-hmm. and they kind of did it again in The Hobbit with, oh, uh, boy, Tariel <laughs> and, uh, Keely. So yeah. I, they, they've done this story a couple times. I, yeah, Ismael Cruz Cordova's elf is very different. It's, it reminds me a lot of Thranduil from The Hobbit. That kind of like the the coldness to it, because Elrond is not cold. Right. Elrond is very welcoming, but calculating. This guy is kind of very calculating, but cold. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a it's a different kind of elf. It's again, it's more similar to The Hobbit, but I like that he's playing it 
in a way that is unlike even like the obvious big elf character of Legolas. Mm-hmm. So, and I like the Bronwyn character and her snot nosed little kid. You know, I'm, I I imagine he's in for a world of pain coming up pretty soon here, and yeah. that's okay. I'm all right with him suffering a little bit, but yeah, I, I hate to see his mother suffer. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, you have a a artifact being found that has black speech markings on it. There's this marking that they keep showing. That's the mm-hmm. marking of Sauron. And when when you see the marking, it does the whole. It does the thing that you kind of see in the Lord of the Rings, the movies, where it kind of distorts the screen and you hear the black speech in the background. So yeah, I'll be curious. Yeah, I'll be curious to see where where that goes. Again, I assume we're going to see Sauron at some point it, or, or some representation of. Yeah, so. hopefully it'll be a little bit better than the representation in The Hobbit, or it's just like that shoom, 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 shoom the at the necro- camera. The necromancer thing. Yeah, oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather have you as a giant eyeball than as that I'm zooming in on you a hundred times kind of thing. Yeah, I was not... I wasn't the biggest fan of the way he's presented in The Hobbit. I mean, again, you know, realistically, in The Return of the King, I don't know if you realize this, but they filmed a finale where Aragorn fought a Sauron in that scene. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, and there's I saw some of it on YouTube. There are some shots of kind of it's like a shot from behind Sauron looking kind of over his shoulder. You can see Aragorn backing up because Sauron is like inching towards him. They filmed it and everything. It blew my mind. Wow. Because again, like I, I don't, we have never seen Sauron as a moving fighting villain outside of the intro to the fellowship where he dies the first time where his corporeal form is destroyed the first time. So it'll be interesting to see if we get a full on Sauron in this show, in his suit. Cause again, we're so early on with all of this, that that is still a possibility. Mm. So yeah, I, I don't know if it's just going to be Sauron for five seasons. Cause that's the other thing they've said, the creators of the show have said like, we already know how many seasons of the show there's going to be how like we've already charted it out. And of course they have with the show is as expensive as this one. The representation of the Sauron character is kind of up in the air really, because there hasn't really been one in the series yet, at least the way the movies presented it. And there, and, Hobbit, yeah, less we say about that third Hobbit movie, the better. <laughs> it's the weakest of the three by it like is. A, a country mile. I mean, I like what they were doing as far as taking some of those things from the Silmarillion and bringing them in and introducing characters that were in that book that weren't necessarily in The Hobbit and doing an okay job of let's tie these two movies together a little bit more and have you know, the meetings of Saruman and, and Galadriel and Elrond and uh, Gandalf in order to set that stage. But at the same time, it did feel a little like, hey, get it, get it. This is setting you up for the next movies. Get it. See right. how Saruman's like, oh, I'll take care of Sora. Don't you worry. And I'm like, that's ah, a little much sometimes. Well, it's I, the proximity to those movies, right? I mean, that's 60 years. So, yeah. 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 I'm with you. I mean, again, when I was reading The Hobbit, I didn't wonder where Gandalf went at one point during the book. But the movie was like, we need to answer where he went. So they see, you know, you see him going to Dol Guldur and seeing Thrain and seeing Radagast and all that. Like that, you know, great. Like, it's great that it's in the movie. But at the same time, movie didn't need to be three movies. So, no, God's sakes. No. Yeah. 
and just the pacing of that third movie was so stupid. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah oh, we're going to kill Smog in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, this show has already kind of adopted, like you said, it's kind of already shown us who the big bad is going to be. It's kind of given us an idea of where this show might be going. And in the final moments of this episode, it, it introduced another character from the original series. I'm not convinced oh, yet, boy. but it has to be. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I can't wait, man. I've been waiting for Tom Bombadil all this time. Finally, we've got him. <laughs> I here. can't wait. He's here. He's I here. I was like, yeah, bibbity bobbity. Finally, <laughs> fucking Tom Bombadil. Can't wait yeah. for him to just like turn his like wizard type speech into, you know, Tom Bombadil rhyming and singing that kind of stuff. So it's not, it's not Tom Bombadil, is it? Wait, what? I swear to God, Mike. You're not saying that it's Gandalf, are you? Yes. Oh, for fuck's sakes. Here I was already for Tom Bombadil. I mean, I don't know why. I guess Tom Bombadil would exist at this point <laughs> since he is essentially God. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's, he came from the sky, you know? Yeah, but so did Gandalf. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I as soon as they had that uh, shot of him, I was just like, yeah, that's got to be Gandalf. And especially with the beard and everything. And I'm just like, yeah. Gandalf's been around for a long damn time. And plus, we've seen every type of race except for the wizards. And I'm like, okay, the wizards are their own thing. Right. Yeah. So this is when they come in, they form Hogwarts so they can train all the other wizards, <laughs> send them out exactly. to the world. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be really interested to see if the show brings in the blue wizards that are kind of just always mentioned and everything, but never actually written i mean tolkien i don't think ever even wrote about them like other than mm -hmm. saying there are two blue wizards out in the world but i hope that the show brings in the blue wizards that the show has an opportunity to lot, do a lot of interesting stuff and i'm I, I don't know this first episode sets a pretty interesting stage i think it gives some interesting stakes i think the twist with galadriel's character where she doesn't go to the gray havens i think was saw that obviously coming from a mile away but i think it's oh yeah I think it's a, I, I think it's an interesting direction to send her character, given that, again, we don't as as she's presented in the movies, at least we don't know a whole lot about her. So right. now, like you said, we get kind of an idea as to why she does what she does and mm -hmm. and what and what that means for her character moving forward, because, yeah, you know, this is the same character that we ostensibly see thousands of years later. So how does she become that character? Here's part of that journey. Right. And again, it's not like she gets the hat, she gets the whip, she gets the scar. There's the Galadriel's like, light. There, yeah, right. it's like none of that. Like there, the, maybe we will see that, but like they, this is so far removed that they don't have to. Right. She's more than just trappings. It's kind of like you know, oh god, if they if they take time to be like, hey Gandalf, here's a big fucking floppy hat and a pipe. It's like, oh god, really? Please don't do that. You know? Oh, yeah. here, see the staff. You can hold your pipe in the staff. Isn't that kind of cool? Yeah. Hey, you want you want to try some of this pipe weed with us here, bud? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't again, I, I feel like, and I don't know how you feel about this, like the show seems it seems in rather capable hands. Yeah, yeah. And again, people I've never really heard of before, and that's okay. I'm really okay with us not knowing these characters. I'm like as we're talking, I'm looking up like the guy that played Elrond that you brought up. It's like Okay, I've seen him in The Kingsman. I've seen him in this. I've seen him in that. But none of these characters have made such an impression other than Lenny Henry that I'm just like, oh, it's that dude. You know, and like, same thing with the writers and directors. It's like, yeah, I don't really know 
these people, but they seem to be doing a pretty good job. Yeah, J.A. Bayona, he directed the the second Jurassic Park movie, which isn't terrible compared yeah. to the third one. I mean, and compared to the um, the second original Jurassic Park movie, well, which was I, directed by some guy Steven Spielberg. Yeah, right. And that was a piece of shit. But I think he, I think he stays out of, I think he stays out of his own way, but yeah. pays enough lip lip service to Peter Jackson. You know. Mm-hmm. Again, you don't. Ha- I don't know. Like you, you don't have to do much in the way of creating your own style because Jackson really gives you a lot to work with. Because Jackson is such a stylistically interesting director that I don't think anyone who comes to this show, I feel like it's going to be rather easy to ape his style. Mm-hmm. Whether or not they're going to do anything interesting with it is a different story. But I don't think they necessarily have to. I think somebody needs to come in and just have a good sense of how to put the camera where it needs to go and make it look nice and make it look like Lord of the Rings. Like we expect Lord of the Rings to look. I think maybe they could put a little bit, a little bit more of a haze or a glow on some of the stuff in this, in, in the show. You know what I mean? I, there's this weird kind of hazy glowiness that I associate with at least the first three Lord of the Rings movies, Mm -hmm. maybe not the Hobbit, but I would like a little bit more of that kind of like glowiness to some of the stuff, especially stuff with the elves. But yeah. but other than that, I think they've really this first episode does a really good job of introducing us back into a world that I think for a lot of us never thought we'd see anything else. I never I mean, again, like you said at the opening, I said at the opening of the show, like it's crazy to me that we're actually watching a Lord of the Rings TV show. Yeah. Like we I mean, we had been hearing about it since the first movies came out. They were talking. It's like the Star Wars TV shows. They were talking about them forever and they never happened. And you know why they never happened? Because it would require a massive budget to do it right. And nobody other than the these big old companies that own these IPs now could afford to do it. What studio is going to shell out the money needed to make this show properly other than someone like Amazon? There was no way that some when we were still on terrestrial television even when we got originally into cable there was no way that anything like this was going to happen i mean yeah you're right the budgets and everything for this kind of stuff it does take these giants now in order to do that the giants that own the ip and the giants that have all the money in order to be able to to do this yeah again you know we talked about the crazy budget for this show and you know what like i see it Every time they show something crazy on screen, Mm -hmm. there's a scene early on in this episode where they're talking about crossing from Valinor to Middle Earth. And it shows one of the things that the Witch King is riding on, one of those fell beasts biting a hawk, one of the giant birds and throwing it through the fire. And that's all CGI. Yeah. And I was watching it and I said out loud, audibly, very loud. Oh, holy shit. This is this is insane. Because you know what? This is a fucking TV show, mm-hmm. but it's a movie. Like this is just eight hours of, of Lord of the Rings, the movie, right. because the, the production values are so high. And you know what? I think that maybe this will be, I don't know if this is going to be something that can be done anymore because of the cost here, but I hope that this ushers in a new way of doing things with IPs where you get time to work with them. Mm-hmm. Actually, Give these narratives some time because those Lord of the Rings stories work in those movies because that's a contained narrative. But anything else like this does need 
time and room to breathe and establish the world and establish the character. Is it going to take a while to tell this story? Yeah, but my hope is by the end of it, it's re- it's a rewarding story that they're telling. Because mm-hmm. I always feel, as a viewer, I feel like by the end of those Lord of the Rings movies, even the Hobbit ones, they reward me for being a viewer and sitting through all nine hours of those movies and rewarding me paying attention and me- seeing the themes and the reoccurring leap motifs and the music and stuff. I feel like those movies reward you as a viewer and the show I hope will do the same. Well, speaking of the music, there are times when Bear McCreary's music seems to get close to Howard Shore's, but it never feels like it's just paying lip service to Howard Shore's themes. And I'm glad for that because these are different characters. This is a different age. We don't need the exact same themes that we had. And I thought that was another downfall of The Hobbit, which was the misuse of the music, where you are using themes from one character or one group of people from the Lord of the Rings movies and just kind of shoving it in to the hobbit in the wrong places where you're just like well wait a second that's like an orc theme but we are nowhere near orcs you know just it 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 didn't make sense and it just felt so fucking lazy what they were doing with that music in that hobbit series that i was just like do you care at all about this stuff are you that mad at guillermo del toro that you're just doing a slipshod job and saying like ah fuck it i'll shoot this in 60 frames per second fuck with some people i mean he felt it felt like he was bored sometimes doing those movies I agree. I mean, again, you know, what's funny is the complaints in those movies are the CGI and how overused it is and how not great it looks. I would contend this show has already done a better job than than those three Hobbit movies did with actually creating real sets, but also utilizing CGI rather effectively. And this is, again, this is a TV show. And I feel like I'm caring about these characters a lot more. Like, I didn't give a shit about... Uh, Evangeline Lily and Keely or Feely or whichever one. I didn't care about the dwarves. I mean, there was only like one dwarf that I really cared about. And that was the old dude that would talk with Frodo or sorry, Bilbo. And otherwise it was just like, I don't care about this. And I really, I don't need to see Legolas. I'm sorry, but like, right. Well, he just doesn't need to be here, you know? And that felt like such a like, oh, hey, look, at we have one of your favorite characters, and we're going to make a reference to another one of your favorite characters, and actually two more of them. So it's like, no, just stop it. Well, and, you know, that for me has kind of always been the issue with those Hobbit movies. It's like they they never feel like their own movies. The only one that feels like its own movie is the second one. The first one, it feels like almost a straight ripoff of Fellowship. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is just a mess. Just an outright mess. And so the second one is kind of the only one that I really think is successful in being a Lord of the Rings movie, because those first three Lord of the Rings movies are damn near perfect. Second Hobbit comes close. This show has come pretty close already. Like in its first episode, it's already come pretty close to being like someone watched those first three movies and understood the tone and was like, I want to do this in a long form narrative with the IP, not just ape that movie and do something else with it. They're like, I want to do this and do the thing that it is. I want to do Lord of the Ring. And that's a massive undertaking. And yeah, the budget for this show was always going to be insane, Mm -hmm. but good on Amazon for doing it because it looks like already they may have, they may have put their money in the right direction. Yeah. 
You mentioned the haze during the elf parts of the, you know, like you might've wanted to have seen that in this. And I kind of like that there isn't a haze. I kind of like that these elves are being treated very matter of factly. They're not as like mystical fay and fairy like, yeah. And it's like, because you really get the feeling in the Lord of the Rings and it's a good feeling, but you really get the feeling of these folks have been around forever and they're all very magical and mystical. And they're just like, kind of like an, an elevated race, just right. probably because they've had so much time to think about things. And they're on their way out. I mean, at the right. in, in fellowship, I mean, you have that scene with Sam and Frodo where they're hiding out in the woods, listening to the elves leaving for the gray hate. Right. So, I mean, yeah, you know what? I, honestly, I, I'll take back. I'll take it back. I think you're right. I think it's better this way because they are just elves. There are th- plenty of them. They're right. not in. They're not a you know a, a dwindling race at this point. This is five thousand years before that becomes the case. And I kind of like this idea too of the elves not trusting humans because the humans are the ones that backed Morgoth. Right. And this whole thing of them being an occupying force for a long time and the way that the humans dislike the elves because they are this occupying force because the elves don't trust them and them being always feeling judged by having these elves around. I kind of like that. And it feels very... I mean, I you know I don't want to get too political, but it feels very MAGA esque sometimes as far as all these rednecks in this town and just like you know, well, well, we don't all like Morgoth, and you know, how dare you be here and all this kind of stuff feels kind of racist as far as like, and it's a good idea that they have this you know darker skinned elf uh, there because it feels like they're just like, yeah, get the fuck out of here, black person, we don't want you here. It is interesting to see the way the races are interacting at a much earlier stage when really they don't know what to make of one another. Because, yeah, at, at, the, at the point of Lord of the Rings, the elves are handing off Middle Earth to the humans. Right. They're it's like they finally graduated. Right. They're, they're like, we're done. We're out of here. The humans, you like it's the age of man. The fourth age is the age of man. Well, it, and it makes sense that the elves don't trust us, you know, right. because, I mean, look at Ilsildur. You know, hey, Isildur, you finally have this opportunity to destroy this thing, throw this ring into the fire. No, he's all about selfishness and just yet another disappointment to Elrond and all the elves. Right, right. And he will be a character in this show at some Hmm. point. And I mean, that makes sense because he's part of the Dunedain. So they live for a pretty long time. Right. I don't know how far, I mean, again, I have to assume that at some point the show is going to jump forwards, right? Maybe. I mean, I don't know how long these first couple episodes are very, you know, one thing happens after the other kind of thing. Second episode opens with a shot from the first episode. Right. So maybe, though, the third episode opens 20 years after that. I don't know. Right. I imagine that they're going to keep going with the story. But yeah, maybe to your point, there is a a time jump at some point. Or they just, you know, it's like little Isildur running around and they're just like, Isildur, give me that. No. You know. Right. (laughs) Right. And again, I mean, again, like my hope is because we are so far in the future, like even the characters that we do have, like Galadriel, like Elrond, like possibly more than likely Gandalf, even though they're there, they don't have to be treated the way they were in anything else because it's so far removed from that. 
So yeah, I mean, I I'll be curious to see how they treat a character like Isildur because yeah, he's he's a big part of the original series. He looms large over the original series right. because he's shown in the beginning. He's the reason essentially a lot of the things happen. Isildur's bane is yes. Aragorn's sword. You know, I, all of that is a large part of the mythology of that first series. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle it here. Because again, a lot of the stuff that we see in that original, sh- you know, the original movie is going to be shown here in a lot deeper of a context, mm-hmm. like the creation of the rings. Right. Like I would assume the initial, maybe, I mean, again, if Isildur is here, there might be the initial downfall of Sauron. I don't even know that, that again, right. I, I don't, I don't know where this show ends, how this show ends. Maybe this show ends with, Sauron's initial defeat and this show ends at that point and it does jump that far forward but that's I don't know how far apart that time when Sauron dies is from now because Mm -hmm. that takes place long before Fellowship but I just don't know how much further back this show takes place right yeah it could just be 50 60 years until the rings are destroyed in but it's still 5,000 years before anything else happens anyways Right. I mean, I'm very curious, obviously, going back to the title Rings of Power. I don't really know what that means. Once those humans, dwarves and elves get those rings, what do they do with them? Right. I mean, do they all have different powers that I I don't imagine they all turn you invisible? That seems kind of lame. You know? Right. Well, and well, and again, the question is, do you see them using the rings before the one ring is being used to subvert all of them as well? Again, the show is good at that. It has a long runway here to really Mm -hmm. play with. And we see it. I mean, we're seeing it early on here that the show is taking its time. It's really taking its time already. So, Uh yeah, I don't I don't know where this show ends up going, but I'm really excited to see because I like high fantasy when it's done right and you know jd Payne and patrick mckay seem like they're pretty motivated to make a story that does not stray too far from what we've seen before and you know what that was my biggest concern here was just like do if if they're making this is it gonna feel like something that we you know need is a funny word but we can get excited about and want to be invested in because i don't think we needed any more lord of the rings any more than i think you would think that but i'll take it if it's good and i'll watch it if it's if and i'll get invested in it if it's good and you know what they've put the right foot forward at least with this episode and it doesn't feel like i think if this thing suddenly takes a left turn and starts to suck i don't think that it's going to affect my enjoyment of those originally original three movies like i i the the hobbit hasn't ruined the three films for me it's not like those sequels to the matrix where like i can't watch the original matrix without thinking of those god-awful sequels i can put the hobbit out of my mind and i think i can put rings of power out of my mind if if it suddenly starts to suck and i still can enjoy those first three films no matter what well, I, I would agree. And again, the show starting off on the right foot, you know, makes me at least a little bit more forgiving should it start to not be good, because at least it was good at one point or at mm-hmm. least trying. So, yeah, no, I, I'm in agreement. I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. The second episode was released with the first one. And, you know, we're in for one episode a week for the next couple of weeks. So I haven't watched a show live in a very long time, but that's exciting because it's Lord of the Rings. Like it's yeah. the, it's, it's, you know, it's like the untainted IP at this point. 
I mean, it, it kind of, it's like it's like the last big untainted IP. Yeah. Well, it's like the OG as well. I mean, obviously, it's from the 20th century, so it's not like we're going back to like the Epic of Gilgamesh or something like that. But you're right. It's it's got this long shelf life. It plays with all these things that other people would play with as we go along. Your Star Wars, etc. Game of know, Thrones. Game of Thrones. Even some comic books, you know, kind of trucking some of this stuff. And yeah, it, it does feel very pure right now. And I like that. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's the other thing. It, it's it's kind of oddly hilarious that Game of Thrones comes back within two weeks of the Lord of the Rings TV show launching, which would not exist without that Game of Thrones show oh being made. And that show would not have existed without those oh one Lord of the Rings movies being as wildly successful as they were. So yeah. they have fed off of one another. And I mean, Lord of the Rings doesn't get or Game of Thrones doesn't get written with the influences that it has from Lord of the Rings. And I mean, it's 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 Lord of the Rings in its scope, which I think is was influenced by Tolkien. Martin mm-hmm. was at least. So it all feeds into each other. It's just funny that we're you know, we have a Game of Thrones show going on the same time lord of the rings and they could not exist without one another so we'll see and you know what they're both off to a good start Mm -hmm. so whether or not they'll both hold that through the end of the first season of either show remains to be seen i think that this show has it easier than game of thrones because because the last lord of the rings thing that i watched even as kind of middle of the road as Hobbit is, it's still better than how bad Game of Thrones, the the bad taste in my mouth and the mouth of many that Game of Thrones left. I think this show has an easier overall task of appeasing me, but I think overall this show has as hard of a task as Game of Thrones because there are plenty of dyed-in-the-wool, hardcore Tolkien fans who this show, before they even saw any footage from it, it was an affront to them. And then they saw footage and it got worse. So I hope that that some of the -the dyed-in-the-wool, hardcore Tolkien fans are able to enjoy this show. But some of them may not even be able to enjoy the movies. So if that's the case, then they're not going to be able to enjoy this either, unfortunately. It's funny. I was so busy today. I didn't go to the LOTR Reddit because... They were flipping the fuck out when, uh, well, when the character posters came out. Oh my God, a black female dwarf. We can't handle this. Like so many of them were going nuts. And it's like, all right, where, you know, where is it? Where's your reaction to this? Because like you said, I'm pretty darn pleased. And I hope a lot of other people are too. Yeah. And the consensus, at least critically among TV critics, Again, take their opinions with a grain of salt, is that similar to ourselves? It's a good first step and a step in the right direction. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, they have a long way to go to nailing a first season of a show. I mean, this is the first episode. So they've got seven more episodes to falter and fall and disappoint. And one of the episodes is going to be disappointing. There's no way one of the episodes isn't worse than the others. That's just the way it goes. Maybe it'll be a perfect season of a show. That's happened before. I've seen yeah. it as have you. True Detective season one, damn near perfect season of a show. This is eight episodes. So maybe the small episode uh, order will help it out. But, you know, who knows? I'm I'm like I said, I'm just excited to see because, you know, people existed for 50, 60 years without a Lord of the Rings TV show. Yeah. And now I we're mean, living in times with if nothing else, what they can do is, you know, sixth episode comes along. Just bring back the Mandalorian and just use him for two episodes and then 
you know, just kind of shit the bed in the last episode again and you'll be okay. You know? Yeah. I mean, Hey, that's the other franchise that's being ruined constantly. <laughs> yeah. For fuck's sake. Well, you can always find me over at the projection booth, which is available at projectionboothpodcast.com. If you want more of our foolishness with this new podcast, check out podcastofpower.com. I can't believe that that URL was available, but here we are, Chris. Yeah. We are podcasting and we are powerful. We are mighty. Yeah. Podcastofpower.com somehow was not anyone else's, but now it's ours. Check out every week. We're going to have new episodes as this goes along. Nice limited series, and I hope that folks enjoy it. 